Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Sabah al-khair. Good morning, dear listeners. You're listening to Radio 3CR on 855 AM and Palestine Remembered with Robert Martin, Nasser Mashni and Yusuf Ahmed al-Rimawi. Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English-language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Good morning, Nasser and Robert. Good morning, boys. Good morning, listeners. You Good are morning, back. Gentlemen. We're back. Sadly, more, more Palestinian deaths, but we're back and we wish all of our listeners and uh, those in Palestine at Ramadan uh, Kareem and, uh, you know, God willing, their fasts and prayers will be heard uh, and listened to. But sadly, uh, another, another week of carnage, Yusuf. Uh, the death toll in Gaza made it to more than 100 uh, shaheed, 110 maybe. 110, yeah. Since March uh, the 30th, since the land day, uh, 62 of uh, whom uh, were on one day. Yeah. So I think the word carnage is uh, probably not the word to use. It's a, a massacre, a premeditated massacre by the Israeli government. The uh, clearly having license to shoot, and they're shooting, you know, disabled people. They're shooting press. They killed a number of press. Eleven press people, reporters, were shot on that day. Eleven of them. There's one of them, a person you know, Robert. You know, it was disappointing. I saw the photo of Mottisom going around, and I shared it. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it was a few days later that I realized, in fact, it was him. And he's been Mottism. shot twice, mm. Mottism. Um, and, you know, so very, very sad. I speak to him, uh, you know, quite often from Gaza. He's a reporter, clearly a reporter. Um, and it's fact, he, he did a, an article two days before that about how Israel were shooting at the press. And mm. so, you know, a lot of people are saying that, they, you know, it was premeditated for him. But the fact that, uh, you know, the Israeli government is enabling this, and I suppose our government is not saying anything other than that Israel has the right to defend itself. Which well, I mean, in fact, more, more than that, um, we had uh, a Turnbull say that Hamas is pushing people to the fence, when in reality the, the Great Return March was done civil without society. Uh, civil society, without Hamas approval. They um, uh, was the, the thoughts of one activist within Gaza, and then it grew legs of its own. Now, since then, Hamas certainly has jumped on because they saw the will of the people is that way, and so any political party will, will follow and should also be remembered, they're talking about the border. There is no border. Israel is 70 years old and still hasn't declared a border. This line between Gaza, a bit of Palestine, and the rest of Palestine is an armistice line. Mm. A, a line drawn in 1949 that, to, that was the cessation of um, uh, the war or violence, if you will. It was the cessation. It's not a, not a border. These are people... Two million Gazans, 70% of whom are refugees who want to go home. One of the conditions on Israel's ascension to the United Nations was the full implementation of 194. 194. 
and 194 says you must allow the refugees to come home, compensate them for any loss, and those that don't want to, give them some cash. Yeah, very simple things, and any normal country would do this. Yeah, that's fair. The reality is the settler colonialist uh, uh, ideology of Zionism needed the land without the people, and so they never they they said they would. They agreed that they would apply one nine four, that they would do a deal, that they would allow those to come home that wanted to come home and repatriate those that didn't want to and give compensation. But now, seventy years later, still nothing. Eleven. On years this point, Nasser, this makes the international recognition of Israel invalid, because invalid. because yes. Israel was recognized by the world, not all the world, uh, on the provision of recognizing the refugees' right of return or the 194 resolution, like uh, uh, like we all know. But because Israel uh, uh, has never and will never implement that, it makes the international rec- recognition invalid. It makes them well, uh, hey, and they should be removed from the United Nations and be treated as the pariah they are. Now these people, two million Palestinians within Gaza, and we've spoken about Gaza before, about the siege and the inhumanity and the barbarity. But we've got people now. The UN is saying that by 2020, Gaza is going to be unlivable, the highest uh, unemployment rate in the world. You've got two million people who are starved of hope, opportunity, food, travel, education. These people now say, I'm I'm walking home. Mm. Now, we have to remember that the the border, uh, inverted commas, is an electrified fence. There's also there's a buffer mines, zone too, no? There's mines. That, um, well, the buffer zone, I mean, they shoot, shoot anybody anytime. They, they don't need a buffer zone to stop that. But, the, but people need mines. to know that there is a, there's a buffer zone because Israel, when they wanted to, a couple of years ago, decided they needed more of a buffer zone. And so they went in there and they bulldozed a whole lot of homes and they moved everything. So there's two actual fences there. They can mm. get through one. It's not actually anywhere near Israel yet. So these people just want to go home. I mean, you cannot get more of a, a Martin Luther King moment or a Ga- Gandhian moment than people peacefully walking towards a, a fence that is separating them from refugee status to their homes. Nonviolent, unarmed, civilian protesters endeavouring to uh, enact their inalienable right to return to their ancestral lands and their homes. And they are treated in the most horrific manner, executed in cold blood. Now, the most famous wall that we know is the Berlin Wall. And as the Berlin Wall fell, these walls will fall and Palestine will be reunited. In the 28 years, in the 28 years that the Berlin Wall was in existence, the East Germans killed less people who were trying to flee from East Germany to West Germany. The East Germans killed in 28 years less people than Israel killed on Tuesday. Wow. Hmm. Yeah? Wow. 28 years. Less people than Israel killed on Tuesday. Today, as you know, I'm sure you heard, there was a, a walkout. Uh, Nikki Haley walked out of the UN uh, Security Council because she was so upset with uh, uh, at least 10 and up to, I think, about 11 members of the permanent of the Security Council saying that they wanted to um, issue a statement against Israel. Uh, the British Foreign Minister, uh, the German uh, Chancellor Angela Merkel wants an investigation. Mm. The British Foreign Minister said, "You can't. This has got to stop. We need, you know, to uh, uh, have an investigation, and Israel's got to restrain itself." Uh, South uh, Africa South called Africa its ambassador. Ambassador Turkey the same. 
the, and Kuwait the, is also mobilizing emotion in the uh, in the United Nations, Nations. In the name so of the Arab countries. The thing that we've got to talk about is this all happened because of Tuesday. The magic amount of Palestinian blood has been shed that some people are saying something. There is a magic amount of blood. I wish I knew what the magic amount of blood is, but obviously for us now we've worked out it's 110 bodies. Maybe it's an eight-month-old girl. Maybe it's 60 in one day. Mm. But we've crossed the threshold now of uh, blood. This has been happening for five weeks before Tuesday, Yusuf. Mm. We've spoken about Land Day. We spoke about that on March 30 on the commemoration of Land Day. I think also the the provocative uh, from uh, from an observable point of view on the same day, Netanyahu and uh, what's Ivanka, the Trump, Ivanka and Trump were celebrating uh, the movement of the embassy to uh, Jerusalem. So that contrast made people go furious. I have received messages from people who never um, showed sol- public solidarity with Palestine on that particular day saying, Yusuf, this is unacceptable. I, people from India, people from um, all around the world. I mean, within my small circle of friends, people started sending me letters and messages of solidarity simply because they so they visualized that level of injustice in their face. But I, I don't think you can have a country such as Israel that has all the American-made weapons and the snipers to be able to take out 60-plus people that had barbecues going, singing and dancing, doing all of these sorts of things and not get on the news because they are basically killing a civilised society unarmed. that is just completely unarmed. Mm. There has been no proof of and any weapons posed, or anything. They posed zero threat. It's zero threat. Mm. Zero threat. So any other country in the world that did this would be you know, a, a pariah state straight away. Also on this point, uh, they keep inviting Hamas. I have to say something. As a Palestinian, and people who know me, they know my views on Hamas. But nevertheless, Hamas is a Palestinian movement. There's a big portion of the Palestinian population who support Hamas. And Hamas is not a terrorist organization. I might disagree with Hamas uh, on the way they took control over Gaza and how they held power at the expense of the livelihood of uh, Gaza. But uh, this is a Palestinian affair and that does not make them terrorist organization. The fact is that those people that were going to the border, the people's mums and dads, children, people that were in wheelchairs, people that had no legs because their legs had been blown off previously. So it has nothing to do with Hamas or any political party. These are the mums and the dads saying that I want to go home, as Nasser was saying. It's, it's, it's plain and simple. And it has, everyone's been saying that it's all to do with the moving of the embassy. Well, the Nakba's been going for 70 years, as you just said. They have been doing this for 70 years. It basically is saying this is the worst day of history of ours. We were dispossessed. We have never let, been allowed to go home. Let us go home. But you were getting executed. And the important thing that it brings the Palestinian-Israeli confrontation to the root issue, the root issue of refugees. And uh, 70 years later, the third and fourth generation of the Nakba generation uh, are carrying the torch of return and they are reminding themselves, they are reminding the Arabs, they are reminding the, the Muslim world and the world that there will never be a day that Palestinians will just drop their inalienable right of return. And this is not just an, an issue of rhetorics. 
This is not an issue where we remember on Nakba day, we say a couple of words, we feel good about it, we share a few posts, and then we, we, we move on. In fact, even Palestinians who are silent about the, 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 the Nakba rhetorics carry that latently inside, and there will never, there will never be a point where Palestinians will just say, you know what, we accept the defeat. And we concede the loss, and that's it. Khalas, we will live wherever we are. Yes, we the, the, the status quo, yes, we do have to live in where, where we are, especially in the Arab countries. The majority of the Palestinian population are in the Arab countries. And we still we always call for better treatment of Palestinians in the Arab countries yeah. and giving them equal rights or better rights at least. Uh, but that does not make us forget the the core of the, the core and the root of the Palestinian no. issue, which is basically the the forty eight uh, expulsion of two thirds of the Palestinian society. to 3CR, Palestine Remembered at 8.55am.
Um, Nasser and Robert, the Palestinians around the world are commemorating the 70th anniversary of Nakba. Now, the big question, what does that mean to the Palestinians? I think I don't think we can cover that in um, the remaining part of this, the episode. But uh, before that, um, I want to mention uh, what we are doing here in Melbourne this Saturday. On Saturday at 12 o'clock at the State Library, we'll be having a, a rally. Uh, and a demonstration to, A, commemorate 70 years of dispossession of Palestine, um, but also, B, to remind uh, the world and our um, our supporters and Australians of good conscience um, that what's happening now in uh, Palestine, and particularly in Gaza, is unacceptable, that we're holding our uh, our government to account that they need to um, immediately, I think as a minimum, expel the Israeli uh, ambassador, uh, recall the Australian ambassador, and uh, institute a a boycott, divestment and sanctions campaign on the state of Israel until it abides by all international laws. Now, I think I might have more chance of winning Tatslotto than Mm. all of that coming about. I think there's more chance of me actually giving birth (laughs) myself. Well, that's that's a zero. That's a zero. The, the but reality, Tetzlotto is more than zero. Well, Tetzlotto is one in whatever. I'm yeah. telling you, it's zero. <laughs> it, 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 it's zero today, but we should hold ourselves to a moral standard higher and an expectation of our elected officials higher than the ones they hold for themselves. And because the reality is this, this, mu, um, this embassy that opened on Tuesday, one day is going to be a museum for apartheid. Hmm. It's going to be a museum for apartheid. It's actually uh, the Americans have started uh, the building of another settlement. Yeah, it's it's not just an embassy; it's another settlement. Uh, but we also have to uh, um, recognize the great work of some of our elected uh, MPs, uh, yep. particularly um, Janet uh, Rice from the Green and uh, Maria Van Vakino um, yep. from the Labour. Um, I don't want to uh, leave out other names who uh, spoke uh, or will speak mm-hmm. about uh, the rejection of the massacre against civilians, unarmed civilians in Gaza. So, listeners, that's um, in only uh, a, few a, few hours hours. From, a few hours from now, uh, 12 o'clock State Library uh, for a couple of hours. So please uh, join us there um, for, for our rally to um, ask him for the end of the occupation um, for the right of refugees to return and for um, Palestinians to be given self-determination. Now, when we talk about uh, Nakba, we're talking about three or four generations. Uh, those who were uh, fathers or uh, young men at uh, Nakba time in forty-eight. Uh, now we're talking about their children and their grandsons and then the fourth generation. So maybe if we start by, let's say, from the period of 48 to 52 and try to imagine and reimagine what was in the mind and hearts of the of those who actually were driven out of, well, we of, Jaffa, of their homes. And we had we Jaffa spoke, Romini a few weeks ago. He was five when it happened. And, and Jaffar actually spoke about it as if it happened yesterday. And we saw how um, touched he was. Very emotional. Very emotional when he remembered the first few days when uh, the city of Jenin was flooded by migrants from the uh, Haifa villages. So the first uh, four or five years were marked with emotions of disbelief, shock, 
and uncertainty. They could not believe that it happened. They could not believe that it they will not be able to return. And they didn't know that they will spend the rest of their lives and the lives of their next generations in wherever they ended up after Nakba. Uh, but also, uh, one thing uh, uh, in addition to uncertainty, um, the uh, negligence of the world, how they were abandoned for four years without international aid. I was just going to say that Dr. Ramsey Baruj is here. He's uh, done a book. And he was speaking the other night, and when his parents left, the father was saying, and it's, an, it's a running joke now, mm. that his fathers were saying that, shall we take the good blankets or the old blankets? Because, and they decided to take the old blankets because they didn't want to dirty the new blankets mm. because they thought they were going to come back in a few days. Yeah. So, I mean, that's obviously how it worked. And ju- just why I'm mentioning Ramsey, I should just mention his book because it Please. is a, um, an opportunity for people outside the Palestinian cause to really appreciate and empathise mm. with what it means for the up to the fourth generation. And the book is called The Last Earth, A Palestinian Story by Ramsey Baroud. And there's also an Australian girl, uh, her story's in there as well, and she's in her you know mid-twenties now, and how it's affected her because it does carry on. Now, uh, Nasser, I want to ask you, do you think that we Palestinians have uh, told our story enough? I, I know the level of... Uh, Difficulty when it comes to uh, opening the wound of Nakba, and um, but do you think that we, uh, as a population, as a society, have told the non-Palestinians about our stories, about our Nakba stories, enough? No, we haven't. And and I remember, uh, uh, look, a good friend of my father's who's since passed, as obviously has my dad, but he said to my dad, you know, I want to record your story, and. Um, the reality is my dad was old and he wasn't five yeah and he wasn't 10 my dad was in in his mid uh, late teens mm. um uh, and so in fact not even late teens he was yeah yeah late teens when when the nakba happened and and for him it was you know first person personal he was mm. not just a little bit old enough he was fighting in the war he was aware of it and it the the death and misery that he saw the um you know his friends being executed and hung in front of him uh the, those memories were just so painful he couldn't he couldn't talk he couldn't talk about it. so you know i had 40 almost 40 years with him in my life yeah uh, before he passed and the the my entire bits and pieces you know, so I have a very, very, you know, eight pieces of a 200-piece jigsaw puzzle. Okay. So the story is so small. And because it's so harrowing, um, one of the things that we must do, you know, it's essential for us to do, is to make the narrative, our narrative, at the moment, whenever, you know, Palestinians are bought anything, we're the, we're the counter-narrative. Hmm. The existing narrative is the Israeli side, you know. We, and we, they seem to have done uh, a, a better job and, in terms you know, of... And we're the counter-narrative. Hmm. So, so here's the story and here's the other side. No, no, hmm. no. We're the story. They are the other side. Mm-hmm. They got here 70 years ago. Allegedly, Benjamin Netanyahu is related to Jesus. I mean, I, I can't say that. He may actually think he's Jesus. <laughs> I can't say that. But they are the counter-narrative. So while I acknowledge the pain... 
and the difficulty of uh, your father, uh, Allah's mercy be on his soul, uh, to open and to talk about uh, his uh, journey. I see that, but we seem to have missed out. Rana, absolutely. And the, the absolutely. story seems to have gone untold. Oh, it, it has gone untold. And Yusuf, as you know, I think there's a, there's been more than a number of programs going around recording the testimonies of our elders. Um, and we lost many of those testimonies in 1982 when the Israelis purposefully uh, took the archives. To, took the archives. We've lost many of those stories in the um, uh, in 1948 with the establishment of the State of Israel when they stole all of our libraries. Library. Um, this is, you know, and they put it under AP absent property. Absent property, um, and and those books and those archives are still there, hmm. trapped. Absolutely. This is the, this is the thing about. And I was speaking to an indigenous brother for his radio program on on Nakba Anya Adago out of the Northern Territory. His name's Bo, and the, I was speaking to Bo about the similarities between the indigenous struggle for rights here in Australia and ours. The 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 similarities are with, you know, as we've done that show uh, uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago, where we talked about health rates and stuff. This, the dispossession of the indigenous people in Australia is 200 years plus going. And so there is no first party stories. No. The history, there are no photographs. There are, is There's the no visual record. There's no. Uh, the documentation is very fragile because the British were very keen not to put too much in, 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 in writing. Whereas our. Uh, dispossession is within our lifetimes, mm. within the lifetimes of people that are alive. Yeah, um, and there is evidence, but settler colonialism can only exist upon the erasure or the creation of terra nullis. You need mm. zero people on the land. Mm. You know, a, a wipeout, and to do that, you have to erase memory. You have to erase culture. You have to erase Which people. is another reminder that we Palestinians should resist that by telling the story. Absolutely. And uh, I remember my father, because I'm lucky that my father, A, is still alive and also is a historian. So he was three when Nakba happened, and they used to live near the sea. And he told me that when they went to Beit Rima, the village, uh, his favorite spot in the new home was the part that overlooks the um, the wheat uh, field because the wheat fields with wind it uh, it uh, it moves like ocean it moves oh, like wow. waves it reminded him of the the ocean so to him he saw mm. that this is the other sea so uh, he remembers vividly mm. that he chose to be there and that was his first poem that he wrote without words in his mind and um i would i would say that uh, it is also in our culture the palestinian culture that we rely on oral uh, storytelling as opposed to uh, documenting in writing uh, and in in maybe novels or short stories like for example ramsey's uh, book which mm-hmm. is brilliant idea and uh, we need I, to see more of it of and therefore um, i encourage um, every palestinian who is listening to us to uh, reach out uh, to, 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 to those who have the story and to try to find ways of getting the story. And maybe, maybe later we can, we can uh, see how we can try, uh, uh, um, make them into books or even uh, audio or video. Now people have audio, uh, access to YouTube, their Facebook Live, different ways where we can, they can spread the story. Yeah, can they tape it on their phone, share it on Facebook? We need a central uh, repository for all of these. So in the 70th anniversary of Nakba, it is another reminder of us Palestinians to tell the story.
to tell our narrative because it's not a counter narrative like Nasser said. It is the narrative of the Palestinian ex- uh, uh, the Palestinian uh, struggle for justice and uh, freedom. So in the last few seconds, anything we want to add, uh, Nasser and Robert? My thoughts are with the Palestinians for what they've gone through and the Palestinians abroad, such as you guys and a lot of them that you know I saw on Tuesday that were doing a vigil to see people breaking down in tears and crying for their brothers and sisters. It's horrific and it's unacceptable and we need to do something. So, you know, my thoughts are with you. Come along 12 o'clock today, State Library, and we hope to see you there. And with this, we have come to the end of another edition of Palestine Remembered. Thank you for being with us and remember to tune in next Saturday, same time. This is Robert, Nasser and Yusuf wishing you the best of time and salam. Salam.